I want to talk to you this Sunday morning about voices. There are voices that uh, echo for thousands of years. I want to turn your attention to Genesis chapter 29. And I, I just want to introduce you to a voice. We still hear some of these voices in a sense. Whenever we gather on days like today and we open the word of God, there's voices that come alive to us from the past. The first voice that I want to talk to you about this morning is one that started with a love story. There was a man named Jacob, and he was on the run from his home. He arrived at the residence of a distant family member. He was looking for a fresh start. He was looking for work. He may have even been looking for love. Genesis chapter 29 picks up that story when he arrives at that place. Genesis chapter 29 verse 9 in the New King James Version says, Now while he was still speaking with them, Rachel came with her father's sheep, for she was a shepherdess. And it came to pass when Jacob saw Rachel, the daughter of Laban, his mother's brother, and the sheep of Laban, his mother's brother, that Jacob went near and rolled the stone from the well's mouth and watered the flock of Laban, his mother's brother. Then Jacob kissed Rachel and lifted up his voice and wept. Going on to verse 18, the word of God tells us that Jacob met Rachel and she was so beautiful in his eyes that he cried. And there was nothing that Jacob would not do for Rachel. Verse 18 of the same chapter says, Jacob loved Rachel. So he said, I will serve you, speaking to Laban, her father, I will serve you seven years for Rachel, your younger daughter. And Laban said, it is better that I give her to you than I should give her to another man. Stay with me. So Jacob served seven years for Rachel, and they seemed only a few days to him because of the love that he had for her. You may be seated. Laban was not entirely honest in his dealings with Jacob. Laban tricked Jacob and instead married off an older daughter of his first, a woman named Leah. And Jacob ended up in a position where he so loved Rachel, he worked even more years and eventually gets to marry Rachel. But as the years go on and Jacob's life progresses and he's married to Leah and Rachel, Leah gives Jacob many children over the years, and the beloved Rachel is barren and unable to conceive. And this is a pain for Rachel that is difficult to put into words. Because while her sister Leah delivers child after child, and sons no less, Rachel cannot give Jacob a child. And with every child that her sister Leah brings into the world, Rachel's anguish increases. And one day, there's a miracle that takes place. Genesis chapter 35 tells us that Rachel starts to give birth to children, and she has a child, and there's great joy, and she's excited and very glad that eventually she has finally been able to give her husband a child, and the Lord is working in her life. And then, as the time goes by, she becomes pregnant with yet another child, a second child. And Genesis 35, verse 16, tells us that as they journeyed from Bethel, and, then, and when there was but a little distance to go to Ephraim, Rachel labored in childbirth, and she had hard labor. And it came to pass, when she was in hard labor, that the midwife said to her, Do not fear, you will have this son also. And so it was, as Rachel's soul was departing, for she died, that she called his name Ben-Onai, but his father called him Benjamin. 
So Rachel died and was buried on the, on the way to Ephrath, that is Bethlehem. And Jacob set a pillar on her grave, which is the pillar of Rachel's grave to this day. Rachel, after all those years, is finally able to have a child, and then she becomes pregnant with a second child, and she ends up in hard labor at the point of death, delivering this second son. And in her pain, with her dying breath, she called the boy Ben-Onai, the son of sorrow. And Jacob, even in the midst of all that pain, saw the boy and said, that name will not do. And through tears of grief, Jacob called him Benjamin, which means the son of my right hand or the son of my strength. There are voices that call out to us, voices that are the dying and voices that are the living. Old voices and new voices. Voices of sorrow and voices of strength. This young man that was born on this day in Genesis chapter 35 was a young man who had two names. And he would come to embody those two names and the voices that they represented and the voices that we hear even all these years later in our own lives. The distraught Jacob, having just lost the love of his life, went and buried Rachel in the hills of Bethlehem and renamed the boy Benjamin. It comes as a surprise to no one this morning when I tell you that God tells long stories. And Rachel is one of the longest stories that God tells in the Bible. Rachel's life is one that's filled with pain, it's filled with suffering, but her voice is one that has one of the greatest echoes in all of Scripture. Something about that love and that pain and the unmet expectations and the disappointment and the sorrow that embodies Rachel's life and what we read of her in the Word of God in the book of Genesis seems to resonate with us in a special way that we can attach ourselves to a person like Rachel and we can know the kind of life that she lived and the kind of voice that she cried out with. I'm here on Sunday morning and I know it's New Year's Eve, but I know for a fact that there's some of Rachel's sons and daughters here today that are living and experiencing some of the very darkest days of your life and some of the hardest trials that you've ever walked through. There's some things that are happening in your world that are identified by sorrow and grief and tragedy and heartache. And they buried Rachel there in the hills of Bethlehem and they put up a pillar and they marked the spot because it would become a place that was a holy place, a sacred place. A place where they could go and they could remember, not to try to get into contact with somebody from the grave, but to remember the living and the life of Rachel in the place that she was buried. Years later, it was still a place like that, even in the days of Samuel, whenever he was anointing Saul, a Benjaminite, to be the first king over Israel. Samuel, the man of God, tells Saul after he anoints him, That you're going to go to such and such place and when you get to the tomb of Rachel, there's going to be two men that meet you there. And it was a landmark place in people's lives even all those generations later. It was a place that had been undisturbed because it had great significance. Even in the days of the prophet Jeremiah, generations after Samuel and Saul, it was still a location that had significance. Because in Jeremiah's days, Jeremiah is known as the weeping prophet. In his days, the Babylonians swept into the land of Israel. And they started to pillage and go through the villages and the towns and the cities. And they started going house to house 
And they were gathering up slaves and captives of the Israelites. And they were gathering them together. And the place that they would gather them together after they'd stolen them out of their homes, they would gather them together in a place called Ramah that was outside of Bethlehem. And that place was a staging ground where they would line everybody up, everyone they had taken captive, and they would decide whether they would die, whether they would be deported to Babylon, or whether they would stay in the land and be a slave. And it was in that place where they staged all that up and they were gathering the people together. It was very close to the same place where Jacob, all those generations before, in the middle of his heartache, in the middle of the darkest hour that he'd ever been through, he buried his love of his life, Rachel, in the hills of Bethlehem. Jeremiah in his day saw the people of God being taken into captivity. He was witnessing one of the darkest hours in the history of the nation. And he went back to that time and he, he called on that memory of Rachel in that same voice that she had cried out with when she named that son the son of my sorrow. Jeremiah chapter 31 tells of that moment when Israel's national identity and their dreams were being crushed right in front of Jeremiah's eyes. And he says, thus says the Lord. A voice was heard in Ramah, lamentation and bitter weeping. Rachel weeping for her children, refusing to be comforted for her children because they are no more. In the middle of that darkest hour, Jeremiah, even though he recognized the severity and the brutality of what was going on as the Babylonians sorted out his countrymen and sent many of them miles away, never to see their homeland or even their families ever again. Jeremiah didn't stop there in just recognizing that they were in the middle of a hard time. But Jeremiah says, thus says the Lord, refrain your voice from weeping and your, ear, your eyes from tears, for your work will be rewarded, says the Lord. And they shall come back from the land of the enemy. There is hope in your future, says the Lord. Your children shall come back to their own border. I've come to tell somebody today that in all the voices that you hear in your life, whether it's the voice of the past or the voice of the future, you can rest assured that there is a voice from heaven that wants to tell you what Jeremiah said in his day, that no matter how dark the hour, there is a dawn coming. There is hope for you today. There is salvation that you can experience today. And even though the voices of lamentation and despair are real, there is a real voice of hope that you can tune into this morning. In the days that Jesus was born, not everyone was happy about Jesus being born in Bethlehem. The powers of the earth in those days were threatened by this small child who everyone referred to as the new king. The governor over Israel in those days was a man named Herod. And so bothered was Herod by the news of this new baby king being born in his land, that he decreed that all of the male children under age two be exterminated and killed in one swoop. It's hard to imagine the horror of a tyrant like that. It's hard for us to even want to imagine for just a moment the terror of soldiers marching across the land going house to house. What a dark hour that must have been. Matthew chapter 2 tells us the story of just that when it was happening. Matthew chapter 2 verse 13 says, Now when they had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph 
in a dream and said, Arise and take the young child and his mother and flee to Egypt and stay there until I bring you a word. For Herod will seek the young child to destroy him. And when Joseph arose, he took the young child and his mother by night and departed for Egypt and was there until the death of Herod, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet, saying, Out of Egypt I called my son. Then Herod, when he saw that he was deceived by the wise men, was exceedingly angry, and he sent forth and put to death all the male children who were in Bethlehem and in all its districts from two years old and under, according to the time which he had determined from the wise men. It's almost impossible for us today to conceive of a scene that's more heart-rending than a whole town of mothers wailing over their massacred children. Verse 17 says, It was fulfilled which was spoken by Jeremiah the prophet, saying, A voice was heard in Ramah, lamentation, weeping, and great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children, refusing to be comforted, because they are no more. There's no one in the Bible, and there's no one who stands on the pages of history who personifies more that man of sorrow than Jesus Christ. He's a man of sorrows. The prophet Isaiah prophesied about Jesus and said he is despised and rejected by man, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. The apostle John wrote in John chapter 1, He was in the world, and the world was made through him, and the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own received him not. Jesus even said to his own disciples in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 18, he took the twelve aside, and he said to them, Behold, we're going up to Jerusalem, and all things that have been written by the prophets concerning the Son of Man are going to be accomplished. For he will be delivered to the Gentiles, and will be mocked, and insulted, and spit upon. He was a man of sorrow. If anyone knew what it was like to identify with the way that Rachel named that boy, Ben-Onai, it was Jesus Christ. If anybody knows what it's like to have a disrupted childhood, and to experience brutality, and experience unmet expectations, and for life not to be fair, it's Jesus Christ. He knows more about that voice than any of us, but that isn't the only voice that's reverberating through the earth today. Matthew chapter 2 goes on and in verse 19 tells us that when Herod was dead, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt, saying, Arise, take the young child and his mother, and go to the land of Israel, for those who sought the young child's life are dead. Then he arose and took the young child and his mother and came into the land of Israel. Joseph had a visitation by an angel in Egypt. And the next morning he got up and he announced to his family, it's time to go home. And as young Jesus would grow in stature, he would have all those memories of those early years of a disrupted childhood. But those memories would be overtaken by that prophetic voice that was ringing through the ages that was calling for a savior and a messiah. Mingled with all of the sorrows, Jesus started to walk in strength. Blended with the pain of Ben-Onai, 
Jesus started to walk in the destiny of Benjamin and the strength and the right hand of Benjamin. And no one more personifies that man of sorrow. But I would tell you this morning on this Christmas Eve that no one more personifies that man of strength than Jesus Christ. Jesus, in Mark chapter 16, after he had spoken to his disciples, was received up into heaven and was seated at the right hand of God. He is the one who has all power and authority in his hand. Hebrews chapter 1 tells us that Jesus is the brightness and the radiance of the glory of God. Jesus is the express image of God. It's all in Jesus. Jesus is the very strength of God. He is all of the sorrow of this life and all of the bad circumstances that befall us. He knows all about those things. But I'm here to tell you that that is not the only story that's present in the word of God. Because there is victory that you can live in. And in the middle of all of the pain and the disappointment, you can live in strength and power. And in Jesus Christ, that voice of a painful past would finally be outpaced by the voice of a hopeful future. Because while Jesus was yet in the womb of his mother Mary, his cousin John leapt in the womb of his mother Elizabeth. And he was charged with purpose from the Holy Ghost. Because as the sound of Rachel's voice, weeping, echoed through the ages, It started to interact with the coming fulfillment of another voice of Isaiah the prophet. It would be John the Baptist, the cousin of Jesus, who started to connect all the dots of who Jesus was and what Jesus was there to do. Matthew chapter 3 verse 3 says that he was the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Prepare the way of the Lord. Make his paths straight. Jesus would be the one who would live and would have the same kind of dark hours that we experienced, that Rachel experienced, that even Jacob and Jeremiah experienced. But he would walk in total power over that thing that had stamped out the life and the hope of so many. Jesus would overcome it and Jesus would win the ultimate victory over sin, over death, over disappointment, over pain, and over suffering. And John the Baptist would testify of Jesus when he would preach, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. I come today with that very same message this morning, a message of hope, not to label the voice of Rachel as evil, not to say that Rachel's weeping And that the sadness that she had should be discarded and forgotten forever. Because hear me this morning. There are moments in life when lament is the only language we have left. But I come to you today presenting not just that single voice but another voice that speaks hope for your future. That speaks salvation and forgiveness of sins. That there can be a new beginning that can start for you at the end of this year. Stepping into yet another year. And if you would turn your ear toward the voice that speaks hope and speaks things over your future that you have not yet imagined. There is this day a Savior born in Bethlehem. 
And he's born in Bethlehem within earshot of the tomb of Rachel. There is a Savior that is so close to you today. He's within earshot of the place that you've been thinking of burying your life and dreams. You've been thinking about giving up. You've been wondering, is there a future? Is there anything left I can do? Do I have any moves left in my life? And there is a Savior that is born this day, just steps away from that place that you're camped out in. He's the Savior and He's the answer of what you've been struggling with and what you've been reaching for. And I say unto you today, weeping may endure for a night, but joy comes in the morning. There is joy coming in the morning. We have a Savior, and we don't have to live in the middle of a lament in the darkest hour. It doesn't have to come to define you anymore. But there is more that you can do that you can even imagine that God has in store for you. You don't have to live with that name that you got in the first round. But there is another name that you can attach yourself to. You don't have to be defined by the sorrow, but you can start to live in the strength of God. And the only way that it can happen is in Christ Jesus. I want to be absolutely clear this morning. You can't do it on your own. Don't even try to do it on your own. You have to do it in Christ. You must do it in Jesus. And maybe today, maybe today you identify with the sorrows of Rachel Maybe you're living in a season of life where the things going on in your world aren't fair. There's injustice being perpetrated on you. There's pain. There's agony. Maybe there's disappointment mingled in. But I say to you this morning, in the middle of all of those sorrows, there is strength coming. There is strength that is here. Because there is one who is seated at the right hand of power. And he has all power and authority in his hand. And he is your God. And even the most dire circumstances of life can't keep his love from breaking through to you. Jesus lived and died and lives forevermore for this purpose. That the sorrows of this life are not final. And sin doesn't have the final say. And death doesn't win in the end. That infant child Jesus who was born in Bethlehem, he's the one who has all power and authority in his hand. He is the Lord, and he has come down to us. So instead of descending further and further into sorrow and separation from God, we can look to him, and in him you can overcome, and you can regain everything that's been lost in sin. There is balm for Rachel's tears here this morning. And it lies in the very promises that surround her circumstances. Because while with her dying breath, she pronounced her sorrow, Jacob, another voice, was there to pronounce strength. Jeremiah, as he witnessed the events of his generation, the brutality, the injustice, the judgment, as he saw the atrocities that were going on, and he spoke to him, and he acknowledged him. In the very next sentence, he let another voice take over that spoke hope and life and a future. That said, one day, your children are going to come back. One day, your life 
will be everything that it should be. When Matthew connects the Christmas story to Rachel and Jeremiah, he's not just describing the deep sorrow of Rachel or the awful events of that brutal day, but he's uncovering the greatest promises that we have that in the middle of our darkest hour. God is right there on the scene with us. I wish somebody this morning would hear the voice of hope today because I'm reaching for somebody's heart. The Holy Ghost is reaching for somebody's heart. The Holy Ghost would pull you out of despair and hopelessness this morning and help you pronounce a new name that leads to eternal life. And for us today, that name is Jesus. Emmanuel, God with us. He is the Lord. He is our King. And if there's one thing that Christmas Eve tells us, it's that you never know what God might do tomorrow. Stand with me if you would. You might have some things this morning that are under the surface, and on the outside, you've got your Christmas best on, and you've put on the good front this morning. You might have some things that are buried deep that you've been tempted to bury out in the hills of Bethlehem and write it off as this is just all my life is ever going to be. But I say unto you today, there is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. I've been talking this morning about voices, old voices, new voices. The old voice cries out, Benoni. And the new voice cries out, Benjamin. Rachel says sorrow. Jacob says strength. The circumstances might say, this is the end. But there's a voice like that voice of John the Baptist that is saying this morning, this is just the beginning. The question I would ask you this morning is, which one are you going to allow to identify you? We're going to sing unto the Lord in just a moment, but I want to pray over us this morning. I pray that your heart would be stirred and that you would consider everything that it means to really follow the Lord, to really, really follow Jesus, to give your life over to Him, and what blessing you might get to live in. Will it be easy every step of the way? I can't stand up here this morning and guarantee that. But I can guarantee you will live every day in the love of God, knowing that there is a God who loves for you and cares for you, and no matter what pain you go through, no matter what circumstances befall you, there's a God who loves you and has your entire world right in his hands. Let's pray. In the name of Jesus, Lord, I pray God right now that as we stand here on this Christmas Eve Sunday morning, that you would stir the hearts of men and women like only you can do. Father, I've done my best to present your word, but Lord, only you can open a heart. Open a heart right now, God. Somebody that maybe beneath the surface is crying out, and there's a voice crying out of their life that is a voice of sorrow and pain and confusion and just doesn't know where to turn. God, I pray that they would have an ear to hear what you're saying to your church, that there is a voice that's saying you have a hope and a future and that I love you. God, I pray that you would open up our eyes to the possibilities 
each of us when we follow and worship you. Lord, I pray that you would bless us and keep us. In the mighty name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. Let's sing together this morning. If you, if you would like to find a place to pray and kneel down somewhere, you certainly may. We're going to sing together right now. Let's lift up our voices in the house of the Lord right now. I love